Dr. Pulikako. Heavenly Father, you are creator of the entire universe. You are lowered above all lords, name above all names, king above all kings. And even though you are all powerful, you are present here with us. Your spirit intercedes for us. Your son died for us. And now we are here gathered as your people to worship you, to glorify you, to learn about you, to go to your word, which is our sword and our shield. So we ask that you would bless this time. You would center our attention, fix our gaze upon you. That our hearts would cry out for you. That we would be here earnestly seeking you, wanting to know our Savior, our King, and our friend all in one. We thank you for this gathering of your people from different families, different parts of the island, different parts of the world and yet unified in seeking you out, Father. So we ask for those who are still learning about you or may not have come to you just yet, we know that you are calling to them. You know, We know that you want to save all souls. So we ask that you would till the soil that is their heart, open their eyes, clear their mind, and continue to call out to them. Wash over them with the love and the peace that goes beyond all understanding. Give those who need it the hope in life eternal, in our salvation, in eternal glory with the Father. For those of us who have had long weeks so far, we ask that you would comfort them like no other, even without being able to see you, that we would feel your presence. For those of us who are encouraged and strengthened, that through your spirit, they would continue to encourage and strengthen those around them, that you would bless this fellowship, that we would be a congregation whose only goal is to seek you out and to glorify you in all things that we do. Renew our hearts, Father. Center us here and now. And as we leave here today, empower us. Grant us the wisdom, the grace to be your witnesses in everything that we do. We lift these things up to you in your son, Jesus Christ. Holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Tonight's scripture is Acts 23, 12 through 24. When it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, We have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now therefore you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you as though you were going to determine his case more exactly, and we are ready to kill him before he comes near. Now the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush, so he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Paul called one of the centurions and said, 
take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul, the prisoner called me and asked me to bring this young man to you as he has something to say to you. The tribune took him by the hand and going aside, asked him privately, what is it that you have to tell me? And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire somewhat more closely about him, but do not be persuaded by them. For more than 40 of their men are lying in ambush for him who are bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for your consent. So the tribune dismissed the young man, charging him, tell no one that you have informed me of these things. Then he called two of the centurions and said, get ready 200 soldiers with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night. Also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix, the governor. Father, we have sung to you, we have prayed to you, we have read your word, and we are physically gathering now in your name. So we now expect, let us study expectantly, expecting to hear clearly from God, expecting to be changed, expecting to be moved, expecting you to show up. And so... Let us enjoy you now. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Father, we know that a true and genuine delight for the word of God is a gift from you. None of us in here would have any impulse, any urge, any delight in this, in you, in your scripture, unless you gave that to us. So thank you. Give us more. Let us be a people like the psalmist who delight, who loves, who's obsessed, who thinks about your word day and night, to be a people that meditate on the book. Deliver us from being scholarly and intellectual merely and learned. Deliver us from the deception that the Jews had where they diligently searched the scriptures thinking that just because they knew theology, that they knew theos. Just because they've memorized scripture, just because they could break down doctrines that they knew the God-man, Jesus Christ, we too can fall into this. We could have so much to say about you and even be accurate. And yet, if anyone were to search the inner parts of our hearts, you would say, I don't know you. I pray that that would put a fearful tone as we study now your word. Don't let this be information, merely. Please, God, we want to know you. We want to know you more than we did an hour before. We want to know you more tonight and today than we did yesterday. We'll be closer to you. We want your truths to bleed out of us as long as you give us life and breath. So help us now. Speak to everyone here in the room. From the youngest Keiki to the most seasoned Kapuna. In Christ's name, amen. Have you guys ever heard uh, like a real strengthening word from God or like a, you, 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 you went to a message and you just, it was just like, oh, like on point for your soul? Or you had a, a time in the morning, a devotional time, you're reading or you're driving in your car, you're listening to a scripture devotional reading or something, and then it just, 
it kind of just sings. You know what I'm talking about? It's just like everything your soul needed to hear. And then, and then right off the tail end of that, like you walk into a circumstance or you, you hear news that just like almost crushes what you just heard. Like, like you were just getting so fed by like this, the, 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 the love of God or the forgiveness uh, that comes from God or how to slay your sin. And you're just getting all like fueled and fired up. And then the very next day, like a, like a circumstance presents itself that tempts you to doubt the very word you just heard yesterday. You guys ever been that in your journey yet so far? Somebody, who's that today? No, 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 to keep your hands down. Uh, <laughs> preach, brother. No, no, no. Um, but no, I, and I think um, the reason why I start like that is, I think Megan brought that up in observation, like just a verse before this, Paul was in the, in the down side he was discouraged and the lord stood by his side and he affirmed him with his word he said well done man you did it in jerusalem you're gonna and then he affirms him with a promise you're going to rome you can do this in rome and then the very next day he hears yes uh, there's there's a mob coming to kill you now in that moment of the hearing of that word i just as we read on, as we've read on already, we'll see how Paul re responds and reacts. But I, and obviously we've already read and saw and that Paul seems to be unmoved by this. I, I don't know about you, but if I, if I was in Paul's shoes and God told me like, you know, I'm going to, I got more ministry for you to do. And then I get an email the next morning, like um, someone's going to kill you. I think to myself, oh, great. Thanks, God. I guess I didn't hear from you. Or I'd, I'd think, wait, why God? Or I, I would, I would be tempted to, to be a little bit uneasy or shook a little i would be tempted to doubt god's word but we see in the narrative we don't see any remnants of that on paul and this is the big reason why i believe paul is so stable he's so secure he's so at rest even when hearing you're being hunted. And it's not the first time that he's heard this. And I believe, and I want to argue tonight through the message that it's because Paul really does see and believe in the providence of God. Guys, my hope is that as we chew on that truth, for us in this place, in your life, presently, right now, tonight, and for the rest of our journeys into glory, that we all would know and love the providence of God. We would know what that means. And we want to stay there. Because I think if we do know that and we know what it means, then come what may, you and I will have a peace of God that surpasses understanding. You will be an, a rock-solid believer. Nothing will really phase you or overcome you. You'll have your moments. Paul had his moments, right? Just, just a few verses ago, he, is, he needed to hear a word from the Lord, get strengthened. And so, but if because Paul, I think, is so grounded in the sovereignty of God and the providence of God, even the most cunning and crafty plots of man, he knows can't be beat. My king, my God, my Christ is in control. I don't care what kind of news comes on the TV. 
I don't care what kind of mail I get through the door. You can tell me there's 40 guys out that took a vow to take my life, and I am not flinching. Because my God says, I'm going to Rome. And my God is in control. If anything, if you actually grasp the providence of God in your heart tonight, in your heart, not, not like you get it, like, oh, yeah, God's in control. Or, you know, like, no, he, you know, yeah, God will provide. No, no, no. Like, you get that. Not only will you be at peace through this life, you'll have fun. You'll enjoy the ride. It'll be an adventure. It'll be a delight to be near the Lord, to walk with him through valleys, ups and downs. You're actually going to have, here it is, you'll actually be like joyful in all circumstances. You'll actually be someone who's thankful like all the time, even in the hardest times. Any of that sounds familiar? It's all in the scriptures. Be joyful always. Again, I will say rejoice. Who says that? Paul. <laughs> right? The plots of man. We live in a world. Psalm chapter 2, it says the nations rage, people's plot in vain against the Lord. Psalm 33, verse 10, it says, but the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates those plans and those plots. Psalm 31, it says this, as they scheme together against me, they plot, but I trust in you. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies. You see someone who is very keenly aware of the providence of God. Really, guys, think about that. Don't you want to have a heart like that? That whatever you wake up to tomorrow, good, bad, tragic, terrible, You can really sing and say in your soul, God is causing all things to work together. And I'm just going to sit back and see how this pans out. And enjoy the journey with Jesus. Oh, to be there. This is where I think Paul is. And this is where we're going to go. We're seeing the plots of man, but the providence of God. Tonight we're seeing God's sovereignty in the midst of suffering. Guys, no matter how hard this life gets, no matter what happens to this world, no matter what happens to this island, no matter what happens to your house, your family right here, your, your work, your life, every detail of your life right now, no matter what happens, he's got it under control he's orchestrating things he's god god never says oops he never says whoops he never says yikes he never says my bad i love that providence of god god give it to us we'll pick it up from verse 12 and we'll walk through this together. So, again, I'm a slow reader, so let's go slow. It says, when it was day. I just thought, why they never plot at night? <laughs> right? Wouldn't it make sense to plot in the dark? This is how we're going to get in. Right? Like, wouldn't it make sense? But they were in broad daylight. And then they made me think, if they never plot during the day, would the kid be around to hear it? Wow. Providence of God. Anyway, they're plotting during the day for some reason. And the Jews made a plot 
Now the, the word plot and the um, scheming, conspiring, a coalition of people that are trying to plan. And then in their plot, it says they bound themselves by an oath. Now this takes it to, you know, it's one thing to plot something. And then it's another thing to take something by oath. They're, and um, I just learned this, anathematized. They are invoking a curse on themselves if they don't follow through. In other words, Luke, this beautiful historian, is trying to give us so much detail in that, no, these guys really, like, they're serious. They really hate this guy. They want his head. He's giving us all these details. They're not just merely plotting. They're not just doing this to be bad. There's like a serious solemn. When you invoke a curse on yourself, there's a sense of like reverence about it. There's a serious like, I so hate this. I will vow myself unless it's destroyed, I'm destroyed. That's, yeah, you're, I see your faces. You're like, why? And this is why Claudius is tripping too. He's looking at this and he's like, whoa, what's going on here? Like, I haven't seen rage like this before. They bound themselves. And then it says in three times and all the way from 12 to 15, it says, kill Paul, kill Paul. We're ready to kill him. Why does Luke mention that three times? I think he's trying to emphasize something. Point number one is that they hate the messenger. Paul, namely. But here's the big thing. I want us to wonder, like, why? This is what Claudius is wondering. Why do they hate Paul so much? I mean, he used to be their boy. Quickly, I want to tell you how far back this rage and rebellion goes. Like, where is all this rage stemming from? It goes as far back as the heavens. Rebellion against the Lord, there was an angel named Lucifer. You can read this in Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, and Revelations 12. There was an angel that just was discontent with being one of the upper angels, and he wanted God. He wanted to be God. There was a rebellious heart there, and it raged against the Lord, Jesus. And then that rebellion and rage continued on in the garden as a serpent through Adam and Eve who did not trust in the goodness of God. They rebelled. They bit the fruit. And then they passed that rebellion and rage on to their offspring, and it fleshed out into Israel. And it fleshed out all down through history, all up into Acts chapter 23, where there's this like, crazy rage against the Lord and his anointed. And that rage continues to stretch down into 2022, guys. The reason why I want to start go that far back and come all the way to present day is because if you want to make sense of why this world is filled with such a bunch of haters, you want to know where it stems from? You want to know where all this increasing hostility there is towards biblical Christianity comes from? Why from generation to generation, there's group after group, there's persons after persons of just this rage, right? Psalm, Psalm chapter 2, the nations, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain against the anointed one? Well, it all stems back down to this. See, they don't just hate Paul because they hate Paul. 
because he left their cool group and went to another cool group. I hate you. I will take a solemn vow to murder you. I will not eat any more Burger King until you die. What? Makes no sense. No, there's a, there's a, there's a deeper level of spiritual warfare going on. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. After the fall, God said, I will put enmity, hatred between you and the woman. Who's he talking to? The serpent. Satan, you and your seed will hate even her seed. Between your offspring, her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You're going to lose. But all through this battle, you're going to hate each other. You're going to hate. There's going to be a hatred. You think, wow, that's such a strong word. I mean, I'm not making that up myself. I'm taking it from Jesus. John chapter 15, verse 18 to 19. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, Paul, you're not of the world. Christian, you are not of the world. Or are you? Because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, it says, In their case, Paul writing, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ. These 40-plus Jews, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, everything, everything in the book of Acts has been pushing back against Jesus is because they're blind to the light of the gospel. Right? Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch. You can add on to that, not just a wretch, but a rebel. Not just a rebel, an enemy of the cross. Understand this. In the heart and soul and mind of the unbeliever, it's rebellion against God. Don't tell me there's another God other than me. I'm going to do me. That's rage and rebellion against the God who created you. This, all this hatred against Paul, here's the point. It's because they hate the message that he's carrying, namely the gospel. Namely, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when you turn your TV on, young people, when you are in very heated discussions and conflicts of of conversation with your friends or your classmates because it pertains to a truth, a biblical truth you believe and stand for. Understand this. You may be shafted. You may be hated on. You may be disowned. You may be denied. You may be canceled or whatever terms you use now. But it's because first they hated Christ. They're, they're blind. We all were blind. The only thing that separates me from the hater of Christ is the grace of Jesus. That's why Ephesians 2 is so beautiful. We were all dead. We're all dead in our trespassing sins, in, in the ways in which we once walked. We all followed the course of this world, right? All of us were like this, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We all, by nature, were children of wrath, raging, furious, rebellious wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, verse 4, being rich in mercy 
because of the great love with which he loved us, even though we were dead in our sins. He made us alive together with Christ by what you've been saved? Grace. Preach it, church. By grace. Never forget it, church. By grace. Because when you're sitting across the table with someone who's appearing like they hate your guts, because you're saying there's one way, there's one truth, there's one Jesus, this Jesus, and they look at you with this, don't forget. It's only by the grace of God. You've seen the light of the gospel. And so you love them. And you pray for them. And you hurt for them. And you're filled with compassion. And like Paul, even when you hear of a plot against your whole life, they took a solemn vow. I guarantee Paul didn't say, good luck with that. You, you sure would have wished you ate a big lunch then. I, I think Paul actually was like, as he sent his nephew on ahead, paused and prayed. That I imagine Paul to be a man of that character because of the things he writes and how he acts that God have mercy, they don't know what they're doing. Please let them repent. Take that vow back. I don't want them to die. There's no difference between them and me. They hated the messenger because they hated the message. Guys, this is helpful for us to understand as we walk through this world with so much darkness and so much hate and so much rage, so much confusion. You know what else this will help us understand? Or you know what else this will help us to do? Is when the rage and hate knocks on your door, you won't be shocked or surprised. Right? First Peter chapter 4, verse 12 through 16 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when, not if, when it comes on you. As though something were strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you share in the sufferings of Christ. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in the name. You see, Paul had a lot of haters in Jerusalem, and the, the, the list is growing. He's not liked. If he had social media, he'd be blasted. Um, but Paul wasn't shook, and he's not surprised. Because not only does he have a good mindset of the providence of God, but he understands the evil and wickedness and darkness of this world. Guys, no surprise, you and I were living in a dark, broken world. I was sitting here on the floor earlier this afternoon and just praying that God would help us to be a church that is ready to be hated. Remember I said this before, no one's going to hate me for being from Hawaii. But if I start repping heaven for real, I will be hated. You will be hated. We will be hated. Why? Because the world hates Jesus. So here's a big question, especially for the young believers who are just beginning to walk with God. You ready for that? Like, really, think about it. Are you ready to be hated on account of Christ? Not, account, not on account of your foolishness. On account of Christ, are you ready to be hated? Because the word of God, Jesus would say, friendship with the world, guys. You want to be popular? That's all you care about? You'd rather strike hands with the, with the crowd and be cool and be cheered on? Then guess what? Enmity with the world is, or friendship with the world is enmity. With God. I mean, put it into perspective. Who do you fear, man? God or man? Paul writes in Galatians, if I'm trying to win the approval of man, I'm no longer a servant of Christ. You got to make a choice. Right? Jesus says, what good is it to gain the world and lose your soul? 
I don't know how much you remind yourself this, but it might be a good reminder that the world that you and I live in, the spirit of the age that we're living in, hates the one you love. Like it hates him. The spirit of the, the world doesn't want you to be here, doesn't want you to be engaged, doesn't want you to really listen to this. There's a real enemy out there and he hates you and he's after you because it first hated Christ. Well, we're going to move on because it gets better. Because no matter how much hate, no matter how much plots, no weapon forged against him can stand. Let's keep going. Remember, guys, our God is in control. And now we're going to see, and I like actually how Gabe summarized providence in his observation. I don't know if he caught it, but he said, you know, um, God could have done something supernatural, but he chose to use kind of like ordinary means. And that's a, that's a great way to look at providence of God, right? Because we're going to read on ahead. We already heard there's a problem. 40 people want to kill you. They're planning to get you tomorrow. And could God have used angels to unloose his chains? He could have. Could God have let like full on like these 40 guys as they're taking their oath, like just leprosy come over their bodies and then just, could he have done that? He's done stuff like that already in Acts, right? Remember the angel hit Peter? Hey, get up. And then the, could God have sent an earthquake to just like, can you imagine if they're getting ready to get in? And then the whole world swallowed them up. God could have done that. And he's already done stuff like that. But in this story, and I love it, Providence. He uses ordinary people doing ordinary things. You know, you know why I enjoy that? Because you and I were ordinary people. And we've lived an ordinary day. You woke up, you brushed your teeth, hopefully. You went to the same place you usually get your food. You took a call with your boss and this and this and this. And yeah, there may be some wrenches in your day, but you just lived an ordinary day. But here's the thing. If you understand the providence of God, it's never just an ordinary day. Because as we read on in this, it's so cool because the nephew, oh my gosh, I guarantee this is not what he had planned for his day. So here we go. It says, verse 16. Now, the son of Paul's sister, Luke doesn't even give a sister's name, but um, it's just really thought-provoking, right? You own sis? That's awesome. Here to the ambush. Now, he has a nephew. I would just have to stop here, but I mean, my, my, my mind went crazy just with questions like, are they believers? Why are they in Jerusalem? Are they God-fearing? Are they, are they Jews? Like, what's up? Are they ashamed of Paul or are they proud of Paul or where do they stand? Luke doesn't give us any details, but anyway, we'll move on because we see right here Paul has family. He has relatives. And his nephew just so happened to be in the right place at the right time to hear of the ambush. How cool is that? So he went and he entered the barracks. Now I just, yeah, I think, was that hard? Was that easy? Does anyone just enter the barracks? Does, does a kid just go on up into the barracks of the Roman guard? Luke doesn't tell us how or if that was difficult or what went, but I mean, I just can't, I gotta imagine, man, that, that's, I'm sure that was nerve wracking for the kid, but 
Anyway, let's just read on a little bit. And he told Paul, Paul called one of the centurions and said, take this young man to the tribune for he has something to tell him. And so now there's another person involved, a centurion, who like was brought up in observation time. He didn't have to go along with this. He's just a kid. But he does. He takes the young man to the tribune, and I'm imagining the young man either, unless he was super brave or just, I don't know what came over him. I mean, I would be pounding. I don't think he woke up thinking like, you know what? I'm going to go behind the Roman barracks today. You know, I'm going to go talk to the tribune, like the big dog of it all. And you know what? I'm, I'm going to give him some suggestions on how he should be doing his job. Because look, he goes on and he says, this kid's got something to tell you. Um, he takes him up and then he says, okay, well, oh, and this is really neat. Paul says to the prisoner, um, or Paul, the prisoner called me and asked me to bring this young man to you. And he has something to say to you. And then look at what the tribune does. He, he, took him, he takes him by the hand. That's neat. He doesn't just say, spit it, kid. He takes him by the hand and he going aside. Now, this makes me believe, I think maybe the kid was afraid. Right? I mean, imagine if I asked one of the young kids to come up and just like talk to me in front of everybody. Like there would be a sense of like, right? And I wonder if he saw that in the body language. I wonder if the tribune was like this. And he's like, hey, come here. And grabs a kid. He brings him to the side so he can gather himself. And then he speaks to him in private. I mean, look just how real life this is. And he says, what is it that you have to tell me? And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire somewhat more closely about him. That, you know, he, they, they're going to say they want a round two on this. Now look at this. Now you got to pause and think. This is a young guy. This is a kid. And he had the courage not to just give facts, but to give advice and counsel. This is huge. Do not be persuaded by them. That's a suggestion. That's a plead. I don't know, but I would bet that in, in this scenario, that's not normal for a kid to counsel a tribune. Anyway, I thought I read that and I was wowed. And for more than 40 of them are lying in ambush. He gives them all the details and they bound themselves with an oath. And now they're ready and waiting for their consent. So the tribune dismissed the young man charging Tell no one that you've informed me of these things. Now, I'm going to pause here. and just want to big picture look down on this and because we're talking about the providence of God. But I want us to see that God's using all sorts of people to carry out his providence. All sorts of people. I mean, obviously, he uses a believer like Paul, right? But he's also using family relatives like his sister and his nephew. He's using young people. And older people, he's using believers and non-believers, even the centurion and the tribune and even the hating Jews. They're non-believers, but they're playing a part in the providence of God. Do you see that? You see how God is sovereignly orchestrating, like just so happen to be, you're there to hear this. And then you have now the courage to go and get there and you have favor with the centurion and the tribune to welcome you in, to listen to you. I just want us to see first at the outset of this, that God is using all sorts of people to carry out his providence. Because I have a question. Did you interact with all sorts of people today? All sorts of them? Believers, non-believers? Young people? Old people? People here? Here's the thing. Do you believe 
that God is causing all these things to work together for your good and his glory? See, when someone wakes up to the providence of God, every interaction comes to life. This is why I would dare to believe that Paul, when his nephew came through, it was shocked, but not shocked. He's like, I didn't, they don't even name his nephew. What, what should we name him? Kai, Kai, Kaika. You know, Kaika. How's mom? And then he's probably thinking, oh, this, this is going to be good. Kaika, what's up? And, you know, Kaika's like, Oh, uncle, get 40 guys are gonna lick you, bro. And he's taking on old, they're not gonna eat nothing ever again till you die. And he's like, Okay, okay, what else? What else? And then I'm just thinking in Paul's mind, he's like, Okay, God told me last night I'm going to Rome. Oh, I didn't think I'd get to Rome like this. Hey, Kaika, okay. Hey, Centurion, wait. Roman citizen. Remember, you can take Brada back to the tribune. He like he like tell him something. He takes him back. And I'm thinking Paul is sitting there in his cell, just praying, like, Lord. This is good. It's going to be good, right? Like, how is this, how is this going to pan out? How is it that my nephew overheard the plot on my life and he got here to tell me? You see, I think in that moment, Paul was probably filled with joy while he's in chains. That's the joy you and I can have, guys. When we're in a circumstance that makes no sense, that you don't like, that wasn't how you planned it. But are you aware and keen? the providence of God. It's beautiful. And, and so anyway, he's using all sorts of people. But because tonight's text really hones in on this young man, I want to I I I be on that a little bit more because the text is on him a little bit more. Just put yourself in this kid's shoes. You're a kid. It's the middle of the day. Do you think he thought that he would go do and say whatever it is he was today? Do you think, I don't even know if he realized that his deeds are going to have this massive ripple effect on the ministry of the gospel in Rome. I mean, God is using him to rescue Paul, who wrote the book of Romans, which many of his verses have touched your lives and mine. Do you think this nephew, this kid thought that he'd play a part in that? That's huge. And I love that this is so a common thing. And the more I thought of scripture, I mean, come on, did you think David, the shepherd boy, thought that he'd be used for God's glory in delivering his people, slaying a giant? I mean, come on, do you think Samuel or Jeremiah, any of these kids thought that God would use them in ways that, think of, how about the kid, the boy, right? I think it's in John 6, who had five loaves and two fish. The disciple says, hey, we have a boy here. I think I wrote it down. Luke chapter, John chapter 6, verse 9. There is a boy. And he has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they? You see, the disciples saw that and said, what is that? We have children in our church. And young children, you who are here tonight. Many people will say to you, what do you want to do? What do you want to be when you grow up? That's a fair question. But I have a question for you. Who are you tonight? And do you believe that you are being used now? Because the Bible that I'm reading tells me 
that God uses young people to carry out the providence of God in big, massive ways, bigger than what these little hearts realize. That little boy with the five loaves and two fish, did he think that he was going to be used to show off God's glory in feeding thousands of people? I hope nephew Kaika, we'll ask him if, if he's a believer. I think I hope so. But I hope that later down the week, that mom talked to him and said, son, I'm so proud of you. And that when Paul actually made it to Rome, I hope and pray that that nephew realized, like, I was part of that. God used me to deliver uncle who would be the greatest evangelist in this day and age right here, right now. Like, I'm part of that. Because to all of us here tonight, I don't care how young you are or whatever season or stage of life you're in, do you recognize that perhaps maybe even tonight, God is using you? He's carrying out his providence in someone's life for his glory. Don't despise the day of small things. Don't, don't think small about the small moments of your day. You have a random itch to go pump gas there where you never pump gas. Don't just think that's random. What if God's doing something? God's using all sorts of people in all sorts of ways to carry out his providence. And I started to pray and look at our children and our young people, you guys, differently today, this week. When I, when I really allowed God to, to put this in my heart. Because then I started realizing, was it not Paul who did say, and we know. Not we hope, not we guess, not we think. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. All things. It's Romans 8.28. I believe that truth with so much more flavor now. So much more. He may be using you this very moment. Do you believe it? Let's finish this, the text. So God is causing all sorts of people to carry out his providence. Verse 23 to 24, we'll pause it here. So then he called two of the centurions and said, get ready 200 soldiers, seven horsemen, 200 spearmen to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night. Also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix, the governor. That is like first class transportation, right? What they had thought was going to be a trap now was his ticket. First class ticket. To one step closer to Rome. How's that one? Here's the point, and we'll close. What man meant for evil, God meant for good. What man meant for evil, God meant for good. When you turn on the TV, when you watch the news, what man meant for evil, God means for good. I take those words straight out of Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. We see the providence of God in Joseph's life. It's all over the Great examples of Joseph, there's Esther, I mean, Moses. You take any Bible character, actually. The providence of God is all over the Bible. But here we go at the end of Joseph's epic journey. You should just read his life just as devotional takeaway from tonight. But at the end of it all, he says, as for you, speaking to his brothers, who sold him into slavery, 
whose intent was to rid his life. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Oh, that'll sing to the soul. Do you believe in the providence of God? Do you believe he's causing all things to come together for good? Do you, brother, sister? Do we believe this down to the very smallest details of our lives? He numbers your hair, the hairs on your head. He knows when a sparrow hits the floor. Why does the Bible tell us these things? It wants us to believe he's in control of every little and big detail. So what are we to do with this truth? Acts chapter 17, last verse I'll quote to you. Verse 24 to 27, Paul's preaching and he says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, he does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needs anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth. He made everyone. And then it says he determined the allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, meaning he's in control of all the details. He's in control of who you sat next to tonight. He purposed that. Who you're dating, who you're, who you're courting, who you're, who you're at work with, who your children are, who your brother, sister, spouse, everything in your life. He is orchestrating it. Why? Why? Reads on, verse 27, that they should seek God. So what do we do with the providence of God and that truth? You seek God. You enjoy it. You live. You actually wake up in the morning and know that you have a God who loves you, cares for you, is in control. And when the unexpected hits, when things don't make sense and you're frustrated, you pause and you remember when man means for evil, God means for good. He's causing all things, all things. And he's using all people, little people, big people, everything to come together for good, your good, his glory. Oh, believe it with your guts and all. I promise you this, you believe in the providence of God, you sleep better at night. You'll smile more. You'll have a peace that makes no sense to the people that watch your life. When you believe in the providence of God, you become more prayerful and watchful. Colossians 4.2, be, be watchful and prayerful with thanksgiving. Pray that a door be opened. See, when, 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 when the providence of God started to really set, set in my soul, you know what happens is I'm just like way more watchful, just like everything. Everything changes. Surf changes. Everything. What I eat changes. Who I eat with changes. No, nothing is just coincidental. Because I'm just consumed with the providence of God. I become way more watchful and way more prayerful. If this hits your heart, if, if you're really chewing on it, this will happen. You'll also become way more peaceful, way more stable, right? And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, it guards your heart. Paul's stability, as we've been watching all through his persecution, it is an example to marvel at. And here's the thing, the whole message of tonight. 
is because he, he believes in the providence of God. And when God says something, he gonna follow through. So church, please, let me beg and plead and with you, grow with you in trusting in, in, in the providence of our good God, living in a world filled with plots and plans and wicked, dark, disgusting endeavors, we will not be moved. He will see us through. And we'll make a dent for his glory on our way out, will we? Lord, help us. Let's pray. Father, we are so amazed by your goodness. We confess, Lord, that in the heat of the moment, we forget that you are all-powerful and almighty. Um, we look at it, things that appear insignificant and fail to realize that it's very significant. We, we forget that you're the God who said, I choose the lowly and the weak uh, to shame the strong. Um, we thank you so much for this nephew of Paul and working in him courage to respond and, and to be used by you. We thank you so much just for all the players that were in motion, even from the centurion to the tribune. And as the narrative continues to unfold, we will see more of your providence. And so, Lord, as we look at this text tonight, let us find great comfort in knowing that the same God of Paul is our God. The same Holy Spirit that was at work in him is at work in us tonight. So whatever the peculiarities of our circumstances are tonight, whatever season or situation all of us are in. We can leave here. We can sing now with a bit more soul and passion because it is true. Our God is in control and he is working all things out. So lead us in this time of song and reflection. And as we leave tonight, make certain these things in our heart. Do this, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Enjoy the Lord.